Thank you for listening to Fearless LA. We believe that where love is greater, fear is less. Tune in today to hear a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Jeremy Johnson. As you know, we've been, we've been preaching about the God of the hills and the valleys. And we uh, had about a month and a half on the valley. So if you missed that and you're in a valley, I'm sorry, we've already, passed, we've already moved past the valleys Uh, But you can catch it on the podcast. Praise God. Hebrews 11, uh, 37 says this. They were stoned. Now, not the kind of downtown L.A. stoned, uh, but it was a different kind. Uh, They were stoned. They were sawn in two. So this is to all of us that are having a hard time because we bumped our hangnail uh, in faith. (laughs) This, This is to all those that... It was really difficult to get here today. Look, they, they were stoned. And then, you know, we can assume that if they were stoned, it was to death. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. These are the heroes of faith. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins. Now, these were not wolves in sheep's clothing. These were sheep in sheep's clothing. They were hiding in sheepskins to live, to survive. Uh, they, they went about in goat skins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. So if you've been mistreated in this room, you're a part of the heroes of faith. If you've ever been uh, persecuted in this room, which not many people in America have been persecuted. Uh, remember, the, the, I think his name was Pastor Andrew that, that we saw ended up in, in the White House. And uh, we were watching from Columbia. Uh, this go on and we're watching this humble, uh, quiet, almost semi-awkward pastor sit next to Donald Trump and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, who knows why, why Trump is doing it or not doing it. it, just, it happened and I'm thankful that it happened and he's sitting there and Trump looks at him and says, do you have anything to say? And most people would have used it their moment in the spotlight, but not Pastor Andrew. He's been in a prison for three years for his faith. His faith has been tested. His faith has been tried. It's not about his attitude. It's not about his personality. It's not about his talent. He didn't get to this, to this, this White House because of his talent or his ability. He got there because of persecution. Because of the cave that he went through. And, and he says, do you have anything to say? And he goes, no, I don't have anything to say. I just want to pray for you. So Donald Trump thinks in the video, you can see Donald Trump's like, oh, you're going to pray for me later, which is what most people assume when you say, I'll pray for you because we really don't pray for people anymore. We just pray for them later. And then we never really pray for them later. We just like to say it because it sounds nice. And so Donald Trump says, okay. And he goes, no, no, right now. And Donald Trump's like, okay. Uh, you can see this awkward moment. Like the news is here. Like everyone's here. And the dude gets down on his knees. And now it's even more awkward. And if you haven't seen this, you need to go watch it. He opens a paper, and he's nervously reading word for word off this paper. And at the end, he prays in the name of Jesus, which to me is, is, the, is you know, people pray to a lot of gods. But we know that the one and true God, his name is Jesus. The moment he said Jesus, he had a whole bunch of people probably turn off the TV. But he's been through persecution already and prison already. And then Donald Trump thinks he's done. But then he's just getting started. His wife starts praying. His wife from the couch just starts praying. She doesn't even need a paper. She just starts prophesying, praying. I'm sure that whenever you pray in the White House, they have, they have a paper you have to fill out. They read through it and all this stuff like that. Well, his wife didn't take no for an answer. She just started praying. And we're sitting there watching. And uh, I'm sitting there with Robert in Columbia. And he goes, you know what's crazy? 
is that man could have never in a million years got that position. He's not the most talented pastor. He's not the most eloquent pastor. But God allowed that man to go to prison for three years so he would have a voice with the head of our nation. Now, no matter what you think about the head of our nation, right? Because this crowd is divided. Even in own households, it's divided. To be able to have that place to pray for change to come from the inside out, that's a powerful place that this man was given, but he was only given it because he was willing to be persecuted, because he was willing to get some hangnails for Jesus, because he was willing to go through some trials for Jesus. I'm believing for a group of people that says, I'm not afraid of trials. I'm not afraid of the valley. I'm not afraid of the shadow of death because I know my God will be with me and he will cover me. Amen. Amen. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death. They went about sheepskins, goatskins. They were destitute. They were persecuted. They were mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Come on. The world is not worthy of what you've been through. But God is going to give it to the world through you anyways. They wandered in deserts. Or we could say they wandered in valleys and mountains. Can, can I just prepare this you for this? God's going to take you to valleys low and mountains high. They wandered in both. In caves and holes in the ground. Today I want to talk to you again about a mountain. Last week we started the mountain part of our series or the hills part of our series. And this hill uh, today is going to be called the hill with a cave. I know we, we, we feel like every mountain will be a great experience. But some mountains, the valley was so difficult that drove us to some mountains that by the time we get there, we will find ourselves hiding in a cave. And today, I want to open the book and tell you about a man who when he finally got brought to the top of this mountain, he was not out in the open worshiping. He was inside a cave crying. And sometimes, by the time you finally get to the place you're going, you will feel so broken so out of gas that all you got left is the tears. I don't know if you've ever cried tears and had no more tears to cry. I don't know if, if, if you've ever had to be the one watering your own seed. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you felt so alone and so abandoned and you fought through. I, I don't think it was the shipwreck that almost killed Paul. Because Paul made it through on the shipwreck, but it's when he finally got to land and he was still gathering wood that a viper jumped out of the fire and attached it to him. I wonder how many in this room have finally made it to land and you're still gathering, you're still doing what God's called you to do and it's in those moments that most people quit. It's usually not in the valley that we give up. We got too much tenacity in us to quit after a good licking. But it's usually, for pastors, it's usually Monday that most of them quit. It's funny, to, not funny, but it's unique to say that Monday is the highest day of, for suicide in our nation. We have not seen suicide end with 
people in the pew, but it has now even come to the pulpit. It's not when you're in the valley that we need God of just the valleys. We also need the God at the mountain. Because the valley has been so hard that we need a refreshing on the mountain. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you were brought to this cave, but you won't die in this cave. Come on, Jesus was there for three days in a cave they call the grave. But they didn't bury my Jesus because he wasn't dead. He was a seed. And you don't bury seeds, you plant seeds. For in three days, he came out of that grave. And my prayer today is that you would come out of this cave. I know what got you here, or maybe I don't know what got you here. But my prayer is that there would be a resurrection from the cave on the mountain. First Kings chapter 19, verse number 1. And we'll, we'll get into this, and hopefully I can fit this all in the next 30 minutes. Praise God. Hallelujah. First Kings chapter 19, verse number 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods, little g, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, here is the spirit of manipulation. Here is the spirit of the threat of failure. Here is the spirit of you're going to die. I'm going to get you. Here is, we, can, we can title Jezebel, the Jezebel spirit, as the spirit of fear. The spirit of control. Look, this spirit doesn't want you to get free. It doesn't want you to be a chosen one of God. It doesn't want you to walk in power and authority. I don't know if you've ever had the spirit of control knocking at your door when you finally got freedom. But it's coming after you. Here's the spirit of Jezebel. We know that it is a spirit because we know that men and women from this moment still possess this spirit. How do we know that? Have you ever been controlled? Have you ever tried to control? Then you've experienced this. And this spirit comes after Elijah and says, with a threat, through a servant, the spirit will always use a servant to threaten the leader. With a threat through a servant, it needs a servant to survive. It's not even there. It's not even, Jezebel's not even present with Elijah. She just sends a word. I, I don't know if you've ever had a word mess you up. I don't know if you've ever had a look mess you up. I don't know if you've ever had a cold stare threaten your life. You know what's funny is many times as a preacher, you'll come in and you'll preach to that one chair of the one person who's offended. You're like, if this person could just get it, and, and then you end up beating the sheep instead of leading them. Look, there is only one seat in this house I'm preaching to. His name is Holy Spirit. Right? I'm, I'm not here to preach to you. I'm not here to preach through your stuff. I'm here to, to connect with him, and he's going to have to talk to you. He is my microphone. My prayer is that he would fill your hearts and your ears, and he would break down every wall, every discouragement, every fear, and he would build up the body himself. 
Amen. So here's this, this servant of the enemy and says, may the gods deal with me. That, sh that should have been easy for Elijah because he just dealt with her gods on the mountain and there was nothing in them. <laughs> but it's so funny how we quickly forget all that God has done and quickly forget all, the enemy, all that the enemy has failed to do. May the gods deal with me ever since. If this, by this tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, Elijah had just killed the prophets of Baal. So she's saying, if by tomorrow you're not dead, the gods are going to deal with me. Elijah should have sent a message back. Do you know who you're talking to? He should have sent an attitude downtown L.A., you cut in front of me in line. A honk. You entered the carpool through the double line. We should have sent a message back to Jezebel. Do you know who you're talking to? But he doesn't. The Bible says that Elijah was afraid. And he ran. For his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went alone a day's journey into the desert. He came to a brom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough. Lord, he said. Take my life. It's funny how when we go through stuff, we get real dramatic. Like we can win like an Oscar. <laughs> can I get a witness? I'm, I'm very dramatic. I don't know if I have any other dramatic people. My wife's like, you're just being dramatic. Calm down. You're like going to be okay. Right? You know what's funny? It doesn't help. It makes you more dramatic. <laughs> like, no, you don't understand me. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree and just fell asleep. He's depressed. Depression will take your life in the day and make you want to sleep where you should be living. At once, an angel touched him and said, get up. Thank God angels are there. Come on, thank God. God's sending people. God's sending angels to touch us. He's sending angels to touch us. I wonder if that angel was Jesus. He's sending angels to touch us. And he said, get up. Come on. I came to tell you something today. I don't know how long you've been sitting under this Brom tree. I don't know how long you've been saying I want to die. But I came as an angel of the Lord today. A prophetic word over your life today. Get up. Come on. I came to touch you with the word. Get up. This is not your place of final destination. Get up. He says, get up, get up, get up and eat. Don't just get up, get up and eat. Come on, I have something for you today. The only reason why you're tired is you stopped eating. You stopped eating, you stopped eating, you stopped eating and you lost energy. You stopped eating. You were preaching to others and forgot to preach to yourself. You stopped eating. Come on, get up and eat again. I don't care if it's John 3.16, eat something. Come on, get up. Get up and eat again. And we find out for him it was John 3.16. He says, get up and eat, get up and eat, get up and eat. And he looked around and there he had, by his head was a cake. Now this would have been a remembrance of when God fed him a cake through a widow. I'll tell you that story later, but there's a reason why God just not into cake. You know, he's like, here's some cake. But he's trying to remind him of something. See, see, when God feeds you 
when you've been starving, he might feed you a word you had when you were 15. He might feed you a word you had when you were 13. He might feed you a word your grandma had been praying over you. He might feed you a word you got tattooed on you didn't even know who Jesus was. But Jesus knew who he was and he knew who you were. And he's been after you since the day you've been born. He feeds him a cake. He says, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake and a jar of water. Now remember, they're in a, they, they, they've, just, they've just gone through a drought. He ate and drank and, they, they, and then lay down again. He was tired. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and he touched him again. He said, get up and eat again. Come on, you're, you're going to need to eat more than once to make it through this valley. You, you know, one Sunday is not going to do. One, Sunday's, one, one, one night at, at the dinner party is not going to do. You're going to have to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to have to eat again. You're going to need a touch again. You're going to need another touch from God and more food. Come on. If I was in this room and you said, man, I'm really hang- hungry. I'm hangry. And I said, when's the last time you ate? And you said, I ate yesterday. I say, awesome. When are you going to eat again? Why well, yesterday? Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. You got to eat every day. Come on, God is coming back and He's saying, "Eat a second time." I want to give you more. Look, look, this is good news, folks. This is not God trying to put you in a mundane religious experience. God has food for you. This is my life. This is my bread. It's a daily bread. Bread is not good ten days later. It's good out of the oven. God wants to cook you fresh bread, fresh manna out of the oven. Come on, man. some of us have a backstock. We got bread that's gone moldy. It's been sitting waiting for you. Come on, throw that away and get some more. Come on, God has new, his mercies are new every morning. Come on, God has something new for you. Well, I tried that. We'll try it again. Come on, you don't stop eating because you got food poisoning. You get food poisoning at a restaurant, you're like, I'm never eating again. No, you're going to eat again. You're probably going to eat tacos again. Just because that taco truck was bad doesn't mean all taco trucks are bad. But this is how people treat church. Had a bad experience with a pastor. Had a bad experience at a church. So I'm never going to eat again. In other words, I got food poisoning, so I'm just going to starve myself. So that's a better answer? No, no, you got to eat again. Come on. We got fresh tacos. It's all organic. Come on. We're using good meat. Come on. Open your heart. Open your mouth. And say, God, I can't survive off of starving myself. Come on. Eat again. Come on. Touch your neighbor. Say, neighbor, it's time to eat again. Get up. The journey is too much for you. Come on, there's too much ahead of you for you not to eat anymore. You weren't called to die under this Brom tree. There is too much in your future for you not to eat right now. Come on, the the people that really realize they're called... When they come in this room, they come ready with notepads. They come ready on the edge of their seat. They turn off maybe Instagram for a second. Why? Because there's too much ahead of me not to eat in this moment. There's too much coming at me for me to come and just sit a listless life. I'm not here to attend. I'm here to engage with the Holy Spirit. Because for where I'm going... Come on, do we have anybody that's going somewhere? Do we have anybody that's got a big journey ahead of them? I don't know about you, but my journey's uphill. I need gas in this tank. Maybe I need a few extra barrels in the back. Store them there in case someone else next to me runs out. I need this just as much as you need this. We're here today to gather around this word. And God says to him, he says, the journey is too far for you. So he got up and he ate again. Maybe he wasn't hungry. Have you ever not eaten so long that you stopped being hungry? 
Sometimes you got to force yourself to eat. Sometimes you got to open the mouth and just start putting it in. You say, you know what? I don't know what this is doing, but I know that God has prepared it and he's placed it for me. So he got up and he ate and drank and strength, strengthened by that food. He traversed 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Herob. Somebody say Herob. The mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. I don't know if anybody here has been spending the night in caves on the mountain. But I came with a prophetic word to call you out of the cave. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. In other words, I've given it all. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Broken down your altars. And put your prophets to death with a sword. God, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Too. Elijah is unarguably probably one of the greatest prophets to ever walk this earth. Walked in power that we have not seen to this day. The people of God got moved into the promised land, but they never got the idols out of their heart. They moved into freedom, but they moved there with their past still intact. I encourage you that if you get into freedom, but you don't remove the idols you worshiped in slavery, you will never truly have freedom because freedom is not a location. It's having the presence of God surrounding your life. And they brought with them into the promise the things they could control. They brought with them into their promise the things that they could worship. They brought with them into their promise pieces of their past. I don't know who's here still carrying pieces of your past, trying to step into your future. But I would encourage you today that the pieces from your past will become the idols you worship in your future if you don't destroy them before you step into the present. And they had started worshiping these idols. And whenever you begin to worship the idol of your opinion, it will divide you from others. A once united tribe, 12 tribes crossed over together. 12 tribes stepped through the river that parted when the Ark of the Covenant came through. And Joshua said, grab 12 stones, one for each tribe from the center of the river that we could never get to on our own. Lift them up and pull them out and put them on the bank and we will remember the God that brought us through where we should not be through. And they set up the 12 stones. But at this point in history, the 12 have been divided. They were now into two kingdoms. And wherever there is division, a house cannot stand. Wherever people start worshiping their opinion over God's dominion, which God's dominion calls for unity, not division. And here's the people of God. And wherever there is division, the enemy has his way. 
And inside of one of the households of the northern kingdom is now King Ahab. He's, the Bible says he's the most evil king that has ever led the people of God. He brings idols. He not only brought idols that they had, he built temples to those idols. He had priests that would worship at these idols. And he married a woman named Jezebel that brought even more idols. In fact, they say at Jezebel's table, there were over 900 prophets and prophetess that were worshipers of Baal and Asherah which in Baal and Ashka, we can find children's sacrifice, the sacrifice of babies. We can, we can find the cutting, where, where cutting comes from. It comes from the practice, how they worship. They would cut, mutilate their own body. This has come into the body of God, and it's sitting at the heads of the table of their nation. But thank God that no matter which way a nation is going, if God has a word in one man, he can shift the tides of an entire nation. Come on, please don't believe that God is an elephant or a donkey. He is the lamb and he is the roaring lion. And the roaring lion and the lamb is not subject to the land, but he can use a man or a woman to shift the tides of this entire nation. And he takes a man out of the land puts a mantle on the man his name is Elisha Elijah is not special but God is special God covers him and cloaks him and he sends Elijah to the head Ahab and says look because you have brought false idols in the land because you have allowed the worship of your opinion in the place of freedom that God gave you you will see no more rain till I say there will be rain this, this is you know I believe he had a little attitude. I believe he lived in downtown L.A. I believe he, he could handle 405 traffic. Elijah came and said, look, I'm just letting you know there will be no more rain until I say. Doesn't give him a timeline. Doesn't give him a date. And then the Bible says that Elijah disappears. I'm sure Ahab is laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Because we serve Baal, the god of rain. Baal was known as the god of rain. And the God of the sun or the God of fire. You're about to see that Elijah is about to let him know that your God isn't the God of rain nor fire. For three and a half years, the heavens shut their voice. Not a, not a drop of rain from the heavens. And he said, the dew will not appear. Not a drop of dew appears. They're not watered from above nor watered from below. When the hand of God dries up somewhere... You can believe that you could have been a place of paradise and it can turn into a quick hell real fast. And it turned into it because he says, you want to worship your own opinion? Here's your opinion. And it's okay at first because they still got some residue of what he gave them yesterday. But after a year goes by, after two years go by, the cattle are starting to fall over in the fields. They're killing animals. In fact, Ahab says, we got to find Elijah. we got to find him. He's been in hiding. He's become the most wanted man in all of Israel. He sent out, you know, awards. And you can have all the treasury because what is treasury without water? It's, the water has become the blue gold. The animals are dying. There is no celebration of harvest. Because there is no new food. They're eating rotten apples. They're eating stale bread. They're watching their children die. Malnourished. Dehydrated. In fact, Ahab said, we got to find Elijah because I'm so tired of killing our animals. 
and they go on a hunt for Elisha. They can't find him because God's man was hidden. God hides him and sustains him by a brook. The water. Doesn't the Bible say the trees that are planted by the rivers of water? They'll put out their fruit and their leaves and in all seasons. God, God's going to, even, even in a land that is broken like ours, God wants to plant you by the streams of water and he wants to give you what no one else has so people start looking for what you have. He's being fed by the water and it's unique that it says that he was also fed by ravens, which in their culture, ravens were an unclean animal. <laughs> ravens were just dropping Chick-fil-A off at noon and, and, and you know, biscuits off and, and you know the ravens were showing up with food where did they get the food who knows but he's being fed in unlikely means let me tell you this when you're going through a drought don't worry about the pastor feeding you don't worry about your favorite podcast feeding you let god feed you however he's going to feed you look if you're hungry enough you don't care what hands prepared it come on stop being like the homeless person on the street who doesn't like mcdonald's this is the church. Man, if pastor's not going to pray for me, I don't want it. If it's not a word from that leader, I don't want it. No, God, stop feeding me through donkeys. Stop feeding me through my friends. Stop feeding me through my secular boss. No, God, thank you for feeding me. If it came by ravens, praise God. If it came through the river, all I care about is I'm trying to live. I'm trying to make it. Who cares? It's the greatest message you heard or John 3.16. Oh, if you're hungry, eat. And the brook dries up, and then God feeds Elijah through a widow who is out of food. But God tell, Elijah tells the widow, if you will feed me, God will make the food in your house never wear out. Come on, if you, if you, if you fund the kingdom, if you move the kingdom forward, God will, God will never let the food in your house run dry. The Bible says that that widow's oil and her cake, her flour, did not run out. While everybody else was in drought, she had. Because she was willing to give away the one thing she had. It's unique that God fed Elijah through a widow. Should have fed her through a rich person. But he fed him through obedience. Elijah then gets seen by one of the uh, officials of Ahab. And he says, there you are, Elijah. We've been looking for you. Elijah says, tell Ahab I'm here. So Ahab shows up. And he speaks to Ahab and he goes, oh, oh here's the deal. I want you to take all your prophets and since I'm the only one I'm going to meet you on the mountain Carmel Carmel and, and we're going to pray and whoever's God shows up by fire he is God so we know the story they get up there they slaughter the bull there's over 800 and something prophets of Asher and Bel they're calling down fire over one bull nothing happens hours go by Elijah looks at him and says, oh, is your God busy? Is he, can, you might should, maybe you should yell louder. He's not hearing, so they start yelling louder. And then they start cutting themselves to get their God's attention. Nothing happens. Elijah starts mocking them. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. I love that. <laughs> maybe he's just, he's busy on the toilet. <laughs> Finally, they give up and Elijah steps forward. And the first thing Elijah does is he repairs the altar. Let me tell you this in your life. If you want the fire of God in your life, the first thing you got to do is repair the altar. The altar has been broken. 
dysfunction has taken place, disunity has happened, division has happened. The Bible says if you have odds with your brother, go and ask forgiveness, go and make it right, then give me your gift. God does not want the fire without unity. He does not want the fire without you repairing things that are broken. He repairs the altar. He puts the bull on the altar. He puts the wood on the altar. He digs a hole around the altar. They say at least two salas full of seed worth. It's, it, it would represent an area at least, uh, at least three feet deep, three feet wide, all around it. And he tells the people, he says, look, I need a servant to go down the mountain and get water. So he brings the water up and pours it on, on the sacrifice. Three, ga- three uh, big barrels, which would be about, about nine gallons of water each time they would pour. Nine gallons of water he's pouring on the sacrifice. It falls down the sacrifice, goes into the, the trench around, and is the sacrifice. And many people believe that he did the water so he could prove that there was no tricks to this, right? Because they believe that sometimes the false prophets, they would hide one of their prophets under the wood and they would light a fire and take their own life to, to prove that their God was God. So, he, so some people believe that he had the water come so, that, so it would be a miracle. But I don't believe that. I believe he brought the water because that was his sacrifice. Because the most valuable thing in all the land was what? water. He said, no, not one, one thing of water. Go get another one. Not, not two things of water. Go get another one. Why? Because my God shows up not on empty altars. I will not give God a, a sacrifice that costs me nothing. And the Bible says that, that when he stepped back, he called for fire and the fire came down. It sucked up the water. It sucked up, it sucked up the rocks. It sucked up the sacrifice. It sucked up the wood. It sucked up the dust. It said, Why? Because your God is a consuming fire. And all this happens. And at the end of this, he takes all the prophets of Asher and Bel, and they march them down the hill and they slaughter them in the valley. They go back up to the hill and Elijah puts his head between his knees and he begins to pray for rain. We know this story too, right? He starts praying. He's he's trying to give birth to rain. It hasn't been for three years. He's travailing. The Bible is very clear. He puts his head between his knees. Why? Because that is the birthing position. He is, look, when you're a leader and you're believing for something for this nation, don't think it's going to come through no birth. You're going to have to go through a laboring process to see what you believe. You know, you know what he tells Ahab? He looks at Ahab after he's killed the prophets and he says, go get your chariots, go get your men, because I hear the sound of a heavy rain. He doesn't say, I see rain. He says, I hear something. I came to talk to a group of people that you haven't seen it yet, but you've heard something in the spirit. You felt something in the spirit kicking inside of you and God wants to give birth to it. You start telling people, right, I felt something. I know something's going to change. I know something's going to shift. I feel healing is going to come to this house. I hear wholeness is going to come to this house. I hear my mom and dad are going to be saved. I hear I'm going to get that job that I've been believing for. I hear sickness is going to leave my body. And you don't see it yet. But you got to birth it. So Elijah starts praying. This is our job. This is our reward to travail in prayer, to to get in the place of prayer. This is how we birth things. This is how we bring the super into the natural. Me and you aren't going to change this world. It's going to be God that changes it through us. He's going to be going to come through, through the womb of warriors that say, man, I'm going to give myself to prayer. Through the womb of those that are willing to carry something that is bigger than yourself. Through the womb of those that are willing to put yourself through what you got to go through to see change. 
Bible says that seven times he sends his servant out. Go check, go check. I can't leave this place of prayer. Go check. The servant goes out. He keeps coming back. He goes, Elijah, uh, there's nothing there. There's, there's no clouds. There's no, there's no rain. And se- he, goes, he goes, okay, come on, let's pray. He prays again. He goes, go again. Seven times he sends him back and forth. The seventh time. How many would have given up on the fourth time? How many would have given up on the sixth time? How many would have given up on the first time? Seven times. Because when you hear something, you can't let it go. When you hear something, you got to break. When you feel it kicking, even if everybody doubts it, even if reality doubts it, you keep believing. I came to tell you, believe again. Don't stop dreaming. The seventh time he comes back, he says, there's something. Is it huge? Is it a storm? Is it rain? No, no. There's something. It's, it's a cloud. It's a big cloud. No, no it's not big. It's about the size of a hand. Now, a lot of people preach that Elijah had so much faith because he could believe that the size, a cloud the size of a man's hand would turn into a, a torrential downpour. Because he looks at him, he says, go tell Ahab to gather the chariots and go as fast as he can. It says that Elijah put his, tucked his cloak between his waist and he became the greatest Olympian ever. He outran the chariot. Many people believe that he had all this faith. Well, we're talking about birthing. When my wife gave birth, there was this moment. But the doctor said, we see a head. We see a hand. We see something. And all of a sudden, in that moment, it's not a time to quit. It's not a time to give up. It's not a time to be tired. In that moment, when you see the hand, when you see that baby breaking through, it's time to push. Push! Push! I came to tell you, I know you just see a hand. I know you just see something little, but I want to let you know, push! Don't stop! Don't back down! Push! This is the time to celebrate! This is the time where everyone comes in the room and says, come on! You can do it! You can do it! Push! Push! He says, it's coming! The rain's coming. I can see it now. I heard it first. Now I can see it. And the Bible says that the rain pours. I mean, it's, they don't barely make it down the mountain. And Elijah's at the bottom of the mountain. He's just seen the greatest moment of his life. And he gets a word from control. He gets a word from manipulation. He gets a word from fear. He gets a word from the one who's about to lose all their power. So if you got a word from one person that's destroying your life, just know it came right now because they're about to lose their grip. They're still talking about little G's, but you got the big G-O-D. And the G-O-D won't let you down in the valley because it's not... Uh, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that, that it wasn't the mountain that the miracles take place on. And it wasn't the man. It was the mantle on the man on the mountain. And the mantle of God is on your life. It doesn't matter if you're in the valley. It doesn't matter if you're on Mount Carmel. But sometimes that one word can mess you up. So it puts him all the way to under a tree wanting to die. Being the victim. 
Because although he just killed all the prophets of Baal, all he can think about is all our prophets are dead. I'm the only one. It's unique that he leaves his servant in Judah. You know what Judah means? Praise. He chooses not to stay in praise. He chooses in the valley to go into the desert alone, isolated. You could be God's man yesterday, God's woman yesterday, call down fire yesterday but be careful of Mondays be careful of the day after because when you give out virtue goes out of you and sometimes you're left with nothing I can't tell you how many times I've preached the greatest sermon of my life and felt so empty the next day that's why Jesus knew the woman with the issue of blood touched him because something in him went out of him into her When you minister to others, something in you goes out of you. Be careful to make lifelong decisions after you've seen the greatest revelation and victory used in your life. Because here's Elijah. He's saying, God, just kill me. All he can think about everything that's gone wrong. And thank God we have a God that is a God of grace. Because God could have just killed him. Because his words were that powerful. But God feeds him a cake. The same cake that the widow fed him. To remind him that I was with you with the widow. And I will be with you in the wilderness. And then he leads him up the mountain. Come up the mountain. But this is not the same kind of mountain that you were on last time. This is Mount Horab. Mount Horab is the same mountain. They also call it Mount Sinai. Some scholars believe that they're two different mountains. Some scholars believe that they're the same mountain with two different peaks I believe it's the same mountain with two different peaks Mount Sinai if you know history Bible history was where Moses got the Ten Commandments it was where God spoke to him in a cave face to face and God declared his name over Moses and gave him his law but Mount Horeb is the other side of the hill they believe one is on the eastern side and one is on the western side it's the same mountain They're just two different places on the mountain. Mount Horeb was where Moses met a burning bush. So here's what I'm going to say. Mount Sinai represents the law. God will reveal himself through the law in a cave. But Mount Horeb is where God revealed himself in a burning bush. Which represents grace. Because Moses had failed. Moses had missed it. He was on this mountain because he was hiding. He was on this mountain because he was running. And God came to his running place. God came to his hiding place. And I love that God didn't lead Elijah up the mountain of the law. He led him up the mountain to the cave of grace. See, some caves that God puts you in, some caves you're hiding in, is a cave that God is protecting you in. It's in this cave of grace that while the others... We're now partying while the others were now celebrating while they were dancing in the rain while they were eating for the first time again while they were feeding their livestock Elijah is crying in a cave and they knew about his Mark Carmel but they didn't know about his cave every Carmel has a cave And God calls him out of the cave. I came to call you out of the cave today. I came to call you out of the cave that God brought you to by his grace. 
but he's not going to leave you here. Moses was in the cave because he was afraid of people. He was in the cave because the people he led kept rejecting him, kept abandoning him. He was in the cave. I'll tell you, man, as a pastor, you start getting really afraid of people. Because just like people can love you, they can hurt you. But it's because he looked at it wrong. See, in life, we don't just need people to have our back. We need them to have our spirit. And Moses had a whole bunch, or Elijah had a whole bunch of people that had his back on Mount Carmel in the miracle. But he didn't have people that had his spirit. Because when a spirit came to attack him, he needed spiritual backup. God calls him out of the cave. A fire comes. A wind comes. A earthquake comes. And the Bible says God was not in the wind. God was not in the fire. He was not in the earthquake. In other words, God was not in the judgment. But God came in a still small whisper. He was in grace. And he said, Elisha, I've prepared three for you to anoint. Come out of the cave. I have people that will have your spirit. He anoints three people, two kings and a new prophet. That new prophet, remember, his name was Elijah, Elisha. And it took a long time for Elijah to even accept Elisha because he was so afraid. Fear had driven him to this cage. Worry of their opinion, worry of their manipulation, worry of their control. And God began to show Elijah, it's not the man, it's not the mountain, it's the mantle. Look, I have too much for you to do for you to die in the cave of grace. I need you to come out from the place I've been protecting you. And although others had your back, but they didn't have your spirit, I'm going to send people to you that not only have your back, but have your spirit. I don't need any people that have my back. That's a perfect place to stab me in the back. I need some people that got my spirit the spirit of the Lord in their life together we'll take out this queen called Jezebel those three people destroy Jezebel come on I'm believing for a mighty revival of a whole bunch of people that say you know what God I'm coming out of this cave God wants to encounter in the cave he's not here to judge you he's not here with fire he's not here with the earthquake he's not here with the wind he's here with a still small voice the disciples are with Jesus to pray and they fall asleep they wake up and they see Jesus with three. They see him with two people, Moses and Elijah. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah stand on the New Testament, same hill. You know what that's representing to us? That there will always be the law. There will always be fear of man, but there will always be Jesus. And Jesus is with you in whatever cave you're in today. And I declare you come out of those caves today. I declare you are, there's too much ahead of you to die here. This is not your grave. This is not your resting place. God has more. There's a mantle on your life and that mantle has to be passed on to the next generation. That mantle has to be passed on to what's coming next. Come on, if you're in this room, come on, Elijah. Come on, Elijah. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, fire over this group of people. Lord, I pray, God, we've had Mount Carmel experiences. We've seen you show up in fire. We've seen you do incredible miracles in our life. But, Lord, as we've given out, some of us feel empty. Lord, you brought us to the cave to fill us up, to remind us of your grace. But, Lord, we're not going to die here. We're not going to die in this cave. Well, we're going to be resurrected in this cave.
And Lord, you're not just giving us people that have our back. You're giving us people that have our spirit. And Lord, we move forward and we take out control. We take out manipulation. We take out the things that have set up false idols in the land of our promise. And we ask Jesus today, you would use every moment for your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have something that you need prayer for, we would love to pray for you. Visit fearlessla.com slash fearless TV to fill out a prayer request or find more information about Fearless Church.